episode of triple g gingers gridiron and golf podcast i am your host stephen kerr aka the ginger we've had a busy week or sorry a busy month of guests the fall guest list like we've uh, promoted and talked about now for a few weeks here has been absolutely phenomenal and uh we're gonna kick it back we're gonna bring it way back on a way back playback we haven't talked to him the last time we had him on was in the middle of august one of the mainstays of the show i usually try to get him on uh, every once in a while, about once a month, talking some football with a good friend of mine who I've known since I was about five years old. Old boy, come on in here. Welcome back to the show, buddy. It's been a couple months. How are you, big guy? A, uh, a way back playback here with DJ Danny D and Z103.5. <laughs> That's it, buddy. Did you like that one? I do like that. Let's get some uh, some old Eurobeats house going in the background while we go here tonight. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, uh, hey, it was it was uh, Champions League today, so uh, hey, we, right. we, we could get the Eurobeats going, no doubt. It is football, too. Right? I've been telling you, man, we got to diversify here. we got to start you know, a little bit of football and start uh, appealing to a broader audience, my friend, you know? That's it. That's it. I'll definitely, I'll definitely need your help for that. That's for sure. So, so, what, so, so what do we got today, big guy? What do you got? A lot going on in the league, man. I tell you, you got trade deadline today. Lots going on. Yeah, we got the uh, the snoozer of a of a trade deadline, if you will. Let's let's start there. We do got a lot going on. We're going to get into, you know, what uh, what we learned in week eight, some of the backup quarterback chat, what we've learned throughout the season so far. We're going to give our uh, midway points as we um, approach week nine here. For uh, some of the the big players in the, in the league, offensive player of the the uh, the year, defensive player of the year, MVP, and the rookie side as well, and then we'll finish it out with uh, with as we always do with our game lines. But let's start with the trade deadline. Snoozer, as always, old boy. Uh, talked about it last week with Matthew Collar. Effectively, three big deals. Only one big deal today, but you know Kenny Young gets dealt for for Von Miller over to the Rams and some picks. Um, not not too much happening. We, everybody was in the hope. You saw all these prognosticators and shows going on, but it it it's always the NFL. Just nobody seems to want to make a move. Yeah, listen, I think you know you you touched on it. There wasn't really a lot today. I thought there's a couple teams that I was surprised, specifically at the quarterback position, where they didn't go out and and, and improve their roster. I think the Saints were one that jumped off the page, right? Like. Here you are. You're half a game out of first place. You got a nice looking defense. Got some pieces on offense. Michael Thomas coming back hopefully in the near future, and and now you're down to you know Trevor Simeon and and our, that young guy out of BYU here, who Taysom Hill, who you know we'll have to see what Peyton cooks up here. But I'm surprised they didn't go out and make a call, like even to Buffalo, and say, hey, you know Mitch Trubisky, you know what would that look like, and see if you can maybe get him out of there for a second or third round pick. I'm not sure if that would have been enough for Buffalo to make the move, but. You know, I'm surprised they didn't go out there and look at, you know, the best backup quarterbacks available and see if they can make a move just to try and, you know, give them a chance to go on a little bit of a run here if they can make it into the playoffs, you know? so Yeah, you know what? A I, I, friend of our show, uh, Matt Perino, who's been on a couple times with us and uh, one of his colleagues, uh, Chris Trapasso, was reporting that, that that deal was real close to being done earlier in the day. So you're bang on there, old boy, that 
Um, I think a few teams knocked the door on Trubisky, and, and I think it comes down to what – and I, I hate to keep name-dropping and bringing up uh, a prior guest, but Kevin Turner talked about with, with Cooper Rush. You know, we, we talked about Cooper Rush last week, and, and, you know, it doesn't inspire confidence for the Cowboys. And I think Buffalo effectively felt that if we're going to make a Super Bowl run and if anything were to happen where Josh Allen's out long-term or even two to three weeks – you know, Buffalo wants that AFC to come through Orchard Park. And if Josh goes down, you, you know better than anybody that, you know, you hold your breath sometimes when he's going on the sideline runs or going on these QB runs to the sidelines and trying to run through D linemen on the on the sideline and, and, you know, goes down on the weekend. And I'm holding my breath going, you know, it's all it takes is a twisted leg or he smokes his head off. We're in trouble for two or three couldn't afford to to go with what they got behind Trubisky right and in Davis Webb so I think it would have taken a lot to to lure um, Trubisky away to anybody especially within the AFC yeah are you surprised like you know even you know Tennessee with the news now with Derrick Henry being done for probably the rest of the regular season maybe he comes back in the playoffs depending on how well his foot heals and if they can if they can make it, obviously, without him being there, is that focal point of that offense? Are you surprised they didn't improve this? The, you know, the depth of that cor- of that running back room at all? I I am I am, but I'm but I'm not. I, I, there's just who who do you get? Like, do you get a? I know that it was a fire sale in Houston, so David Johnson was available, and um, I know Marlon Mack. It, there's been tons of talk about Mack, and and you know that crowded backfield in in Indianapolis with Naheem Hines and and my uh, one of my votes for offensive player in the year in uh, in Jonathan Taylor but I just bring in AP I, I think yeah. for, for them I think it's more of a mindset for for Vrabel and, and Tennessee and I, I don't think that gets talked about enough is that it's that old school they got the old school mindset it's that, toughness right it reminds right. a lot of the Pittsburgh Steelers man it's like correct you know you, you want to talk about you know it's funny I was listening to a podcast the other day and they're talking about kind of that you know that coach's royal rumble right but who do you think the last two guys are gonna be in that ring it's probably Mike Tomlin and Mike Vabral right these two old school tough as nails type guys and and their and their team is basically a mirror image of the of the toughness that they basically exude on on the rest of the team, right? So no, I hear you, man. Yeah, it's... and 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 you're you're bang on about Pittsburgh, and and to throw onto that, it's it's no, there's not no mistakes in the reason why Pittsburgh's won three in a row here, and they haven't lost in a month. It's it's they've gotten back to old school Steelers football and pounding the rock with Najee Harris three yards in a cloud of dust. And we're going to win games 15 to 10. And that's Mike Tomlin and Mike Vrabel. And I think it, it, inside that building, I think they're sitting there going, we can run. We can run with McNichols and we'll bring back 36-year-old AP and we'll figure it out. And and with listen, with the cupcake schedule. Yeah, they got an they, easy, easy, they got easy a look. schedule left. And they beat they, now they've already beaten the Colts twice. So there's your your closest rival in the division. The division should be totally blocked up. I, I get it, man. They'll probably back their way into like a – you know, a 10 or 11 win season and win the, win the division pretty comfortably now with what yep. they got left. Right. So, yep. And be somewhere in that three, three, four seed spot. Um, probably, you know, definitely getting, like you said, one home game and then most likely having to go on the road uh, for week two in the playoffs there. Right. Oh boy. Week eight. We don't need to dive too much into it, but we know that it was the, the week of the backup quarterback and, you know, from Mike White, Geno Smith, Trevor Simeon, Cooper Rush, 
Um, you know, Jimmy G comes back and there's that whole talk with White and Wilson. Is are any of these backup quarterbacks sustainable in, in terms of are we gonna see any of these guys for a, an extended period of time? The one that that kind of scares me because we've seen what what's happened in Miami with Tua and and with Deshaun Watson and they've absolutely killed this kid. In my mind, ship him up, ship him out after year two. Like the kids to me is done. I just don't know how you you can recover from that when you know your franchise doesn't want you. They're not surrounding you with a decent offensive line. And now I flip it over to within that same division. And I love it because you know me, I'm a Bills fan. But Mike White comes out, throws for 400 yards, everything's all gravy and we're good. And Robert Sala gets up there and they talk to him about when Zach Wilson comes back here and he's got an opportunity to, to, to commit to that second overall pick. He's our quarterback. He's our guy. And there we are going down this road again. And they're talking about Mike White and he leaves that door just open a little bit. You're spot on because they're, so they're playing Thursday night. He already came out and said he's our guy Thursday night. Right. So Mike White's going to start. You know what the crazy stat about that? eh? And you look, so there's a couple things that jumped off the page when you dig deeper into that guy's performance against Cincy. First of all, it was against the Bengals defense that up until that game, I think for a lot of people, they were like, wow, you know, I think obviously Burrow and Chase, what they're doing offensively is amazing. That's largely why they why they were where they were and how they came in and beat up on Baltimore. But it was the defense that was the missing piece that was really saying to people, maybe this thing's for real, right? And then you have a guy like Mike White, who is, you know, like we said, like a 26-year-old castaway come in there and, and throw for 405 yards. And the wild stat that I saw was, he became only the second guy ever to throw for 400-plus yards in the debut. you know who the other guy is? Did you see that stat? No, I didn't see that stat. Cam no. Newton. Cam, Cam Newton, Newton in his first ever start in Carolina when he came out, first overall pick, threw for 400-plus yards in his opening game of that, of that first season. That's right? a great stat. But here, here's, here's even a bigger one, though. And, and Chopin the Bulldog on, on WGR 550, we're talking about this today, about when they're diving deeper into those five, 405 passing yards, his average depth of target was actually dead last amongst every quarterback that started on Sunday with only 4.2 yards per attempt. So what ended up happening is this guy actually had 240 yards of yards after the catch. So yeah, yeah. yeah 405 yards, that's great and all, but it wasn't like he was bombing this thing downfield. It was a lot of dink and dunk and a lot of, you know, whether it be Michael Carter or guys basically grabbing these balls and then, you know, making something out of nothing and, and making this guy's stats look a hell of a lot better than what they actually were, right? So I don't know. I, I'm with you, though, man. You can't afford to, you know, to, to mess with this young guy's head because we were already worried about him coming to New York and coming from a small program, yep. you know, from a small market, and how is that going to work if, if all of a sudden things didn't work out? And now I'm sure, you know, you're the New York Post and all the rest of these, you know, the local rags, you know, building up a case for, hey, maybe we give Mike White a shot. Let's see what we have in this guy and whatnot. And I think you, you can't look past the fact that really long-term, your ability to succeed in that division is you need to find a guy who's going to be able to come in week in, week out, and hang with Josh. And and Zach, Zach Wilson's your best bet. It's not a guy like Mike White. Mike White is a service, he's a serviceable, serviceable replacement at most that's it you know what i mean so yeah there's there's no doubt there's absolutely no doubt and you nailed it is you've got a you know you can't look at the afc if you're the if you're the jets the patriots or the dolphins right now you've got to look at the afc east first and you've got to get by number 17 is your first and foremost biggest problem right now right and and you're right it's you it, it can't it, zach wilson they've got to surround this kid they got to give him an offensive line they got to do everything they can to to help this kid along because 
what's happened in Miami was an absolute debacle, an absolute joke. And, you know, there's people are going to lose their jobs because of it. For sure. You know, I don't know if you subscribe to the athletic at all, but they went and they did a, a real big deep dive looking at kind of where they were when they had Tannehill and Kenyon Drake, like that Miami team of about like two or three years ago before they decided to blow this thing up and trade everything away and acquire all this draft capital and try and rebuild it. And when you go through and you look at names like Minka Fitzpatrick and all these names, Laramie Tunsil, like sure you got a you got a big haul for these guys, but they've missed on on yep. that draft. And as a result now, man, I'm sorry, but you know, if you're going to trade away these proven stars or these young up and coming kids for assets, you better hit. If you don't, like you said, someone's got to lose their job there in Miami as a result, because, you know, here they are, what, one and seven now. They're so far behind the eight ball compared to where they were even last year when they're a 10 win team. Right. Like it's it's bad in Miami big time. And I think someone's going to have to pay the price for that. So no doubt. Well, let's let's uh, let's get to our year-long look here, old boy, and, and what we've kind of learned here through eight weeks of the season as we we approach the second half of the year. We've got uh, just under halfway through here in our uh, our eighteen-week schedule in the NFL. What have you learned through eight weeks here, and what uh, what maybe are you looking forward to in the second half of the season? You know what I learned, and, and you were—I think I was reminded of it this week more than any—is just when you start getting excited about the shiny new toy in town, you know, the young hotshot, you know, offensive-minded young coach, or you know, the big hotshot second or third-year quarterback, whether it be a Kyler or a Joe Burrow or a Justin Herbert, you can't discount or overlook the the value of leadership and experience at the quarterback position and leadership and experience at the head coaching position as well. You saw it Thursday night, you know, Rogers comes in on the road, seven and a half point dog wins out. Right. You know, and I'm not going to give Lafleur a ton of credit for that. I think a lot of that is just on the back of Rogers just coming out. And obviously, you know, there's a play at the end there where the thing could have easily been the other way and they walk out of there with the loss, but nevertheless, they came in, they got the dub without his number one target, without his top three targets, for God's sakes. Yeah. And then and then you saw it Sunday afternoon, man, in those two, four, twenty-five, four o'clock start games where you had Belichick walk into LA and totally shut down Herbert, make that Chargers offense look pretty ordinary and walk out with a massive win on the road and put themselves back in the thick of things. And then last but not least, the job that Peyton did against Brady in the Bucks at home with you know, Trevor Simeon, and again, a bag of misfit toys on offense. Like, man, other than Alvin Kamara, name me a guy on the starting side of that offense that scares you, you know, at the skill position. Not a single guy, man. Nope. And here he is going toe for toe. And, and you know, you can say that now that the Saints, they're, they're in his head, man. The, Brady's now 0-3, you know, with the box against the Saints. And here they are, they're half game out. You can't overlook the, the you know, the impact of, of a, you know, of a Belichick, of a Peyton, of an Aaron Rodgers, because you know what? They're still here, and at the end of the day, these young guys still got to prove they can go through them over, you know, a 16 or 17 game season, right? So that's what I was reminded of. How about yourself, buddy? What did you? Yeah, and, and on your on your Sean Payton point, I want to, you know, I've pounded the table for Payton, and and I want to do it again because you know what, he's just he to me he's the Bill Belichick of the offensive side of the ball. Like he just like you said, he takes these guys, these no name guys who are not household names, and he just makes it work. Like he, he just, he's a, he's a personnel wizard in terms of, you know, I'll never forget, you know, going down to a Bills game and, and watching it and, and 
I kind of paid attention to it after watching it live, but I remember watching the first 15 plays and that I don't know who I was with, but I, I remember turning to him and going, how many formations have we seen already? And it was, it was nuts. Like it was, you know, 22, 23, 12, 10, 11. Like he was just throwing every personnel group in the book, just looking to see how the defense was going to react and looking for that slight edge of, you know, where am I going to find my mismatch? Is it in this personnel? How are they play in this? Like he's just so manipulative and so um, cerebral in terms of also setting up plays. You know, we're going to, yeah, you may get us on this one for, for a one or two yard loss or a one or two yard gain. And, and you gain the advantage there, but don't worry. We're coming back to the well because I've seen how he reacted to that. And I've got the counter punch already laid out in my head, right? Like he's just so good at that. And, and, he, to me, he's he's the best, one of the best offensive coaches ever in in football history. And to me, he's the best offensive coach right now in the NFL. I I I, and I know McVeigh gets all the all the hype, but I'm taking Sean Payton all day long over McVeigh and probably any other offensive coach in the NFL, even Listen, McDaniel's too. And you look at what McVeigh has. So you can't even compare the offensive skill talent what they have in 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 Los Angeles compared to what they have in New Orleans. And I think you know McVeigh again. It's it's the young, sexy, good-looking young kid with a great memory who's super charismatic. Like, I get the whole appeal there, right? You get this guy who comes in and just, you know, as a young football fan, you look here and you say, geez, here I am, you know, fat slob watching games on the couch, and here's McVeigh with, you know, this 10 out of 10 girlfriend, and he's sitting here in L.A. making millions. Guy's bright, good-looking, coaching, and he's a head coach in the NFL. And you're sitting here being like, geez, where did it all go wrong for me in life here? here you know, like, talk about what yeah. you've made over the years, right? <laughs> Yeah, but you know, I get it, man. It's it's he Peyton's a genius, and you're right. I think you're going to look back years from now, and you're going to say, "Geez, man, look how many you know Pro Bowl, Hall of Fame careers this guy made, and they were largely as a result of you know of his genius, right?" So I'm with you on that big guy for sure. So no doubt. Well, flip it over to to what I learned. I I had a couple points on my mind, but the first the first one I want to get to is. You know, once again, six and nine. Oh, boy. Talk to me. What happened to home field advantage in the NFL? I know they didn't have fans in 2020. And and I went back and looked, and, and it was still, you know, 2000, 2019, 58% of the time the, the home team won. 2018, 56% of the time the home team win. We are sitting right now, eight weeks through here, at 59 and 63 overall crazy in terms of home wins to to uh road wins or the road team coming in and winning in terms of even on the penalty side and i've been trying to keep an eye on it throughout the the course of of the season but you know that discrepancy of you know home field advantage in terms of penalties it's it's not happening it's you know 758 to 785 overall um home penalties to road penalties so the referees they're they're calling it straight down the middle in terms of the home teams and the road teams. And I don't know if it's just the matchups we're seeing this year and, and some of those upper echelon teams are, are playing some of their weaker teams on the road and, and they're better teams at home. I haven't dived that deep into the schedule yet per se, but uh, I've learned that that home field advantage has completely just disappeared in the NFL. 
And I'm wondering if Vegas has caught on to that yet, right? You know, like the traditional three point that they give for the home, the home fate, the you know, the home team in general when they're when they're setting the line, right? Like I'm I'm wondering to see again. I I can't speak to the details. I haven't looked at the math on it or seen if it even played out yet. But I'm wondering if you know Vegas or you know you know Joe Public who's betting these games is starting to clue in now that hey maybe these uh, these home teams are maybe slightly overrated here. Maybe there's some juice in the dog, right? So no, it's it's an interesting observation, big guy. I'll be interested to see see how that shakes out over the second half of the year for sure right yeah and and you know what in in the penalty side you know i've got some some more statistics but i don't need to dive too much into it in terms of i was surprised at the start of the year with a lot of the like we talked about on previous podcasts with some of the holding calls they've actually calmed down a lot and we've now started to to settle in we're actually on a um a very similar pace to 2020 and much less than 2019 and 18 when you start to look back um, so, and that's, that's all directive of, of Roger Goodell, the owners in the NFL, right? You know, less penalties equals more scoring. It's not a, not a hard formula to figure out. Right. So oh, for sure, look at, look at the giants last night, you know, they convert that third and one for some reason he, he taunts, uh, taunts, um, you know, the rookie Nyman on the sideline, 15 yards, three plays later, they're punting, you know, seven plays later, uh, Mahomes is driving down and kicking the win and field goal. So it's uh, it's not rocket science in terms of penalties towards a direct uh, effect on scoring, right? So, for sure. What else you got? What else you learn? Is that you got anything else that sticks out in your mind? No, nope, that's that's about it in terms of uh, penalties, home home field advantage. Um, you know, I talked about it on last week's podcast. The cream's rising to the top. We're starting sure to see, starting sure to see that uh, that split, especially on the NFC side. You know, you're really starting to see the top five, six teams elevate you know you've got a couple seven and ones in there you got some some five and twos and and then you know it completely kind of drops off after that right so yeah and even some of those kind of those teams that we thought maybe were going to be kind of emerging like the, a broncos or a panthers that got off to a hard a hot start is now are now coming back down to earth a little bit now and the, and the real true colors are starting to show that maybe they had a little bit of a cupcake schedule to start and now that the meat of the schedules worked its way through that you know you're seeing that they really are nothing more than a you know a seven eight nine win team at best you know what i mean so yeah there's no doubt about that one team that i'm i'm surprised and and you know, I brought him up earlier in the cast. Is what do you what do you think of Pittsburgh? You think they got a shot to pull this through? I know they've got the black and blue division, you know, with Cincy and Cleveland and and Baltimore. So it's going to be tough sledding for them. But you know, Najee Harris has really given them a, the big spark uh, and that uh, that they need. And obviously, if the decent defense can stay healthy, you got T.J. Watt, you got Micah Fitzpatrick, you got Big Hayward in the middle up front. Like you got Tomlin still coaching and Keith Butler, like. You think they got a shot to pull this out and make the playoffs well, again? One you know what it is for Big Ben. Well, I, I think it's going to come down to the health of of the rest of the teams in the division. Like I know, since he's for the most part, they've you know they've been kind of you know they've managed to escape out of this thing you know relatively unscathed. Too many big serious injuries, but Baltimore's got a bunch of guys on IR, and now you see what's happening with Cleveland, where you know Baker's not fully fit, and obviously you know they had Chubb and and hunt out for a little bit there as well. And then Odell Beckham has been kind of in and out, not fully fit there as well too. So, you know, I kind of think that at the end of the day, that Steelers team, if they can stay healthy, it's not going to be pretty. But I think, like you said, they go back to the fundamentals of, you know, running the ball, protecting the ball, and playing good defense. There's always going to be a little bit of that big brother, you know, that, you know, the big older brother, you know, the, you know, the, the older cousin, their mentality in Pittsburgh where it's, 
you know, we're the ones. I know Baltimore's obviously have a, has a couple of rings, but at the end of the day, you can't mirror match, you know, the, the professional success of the Steelers, and you got to walk in the terrible towels. It's just, it's an intimidating place to play, and 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 it's a professional organization. You got a great head coach, and Tomlin's always going to have those guys ready to go. What the guy never has never had a a losing record in his in his professional career, right? So you know they're going to be there, right? And I think Big Ben. Listen, man, they just need to keep this guy somewhat upright and just have that ball get out there as quick as possible and let the clay pools and the Firemouth and the rest of the, you know, Deontay Johnsons and whatnot, you know, do what they can with the ball in their hands and and just keep keep feeding it to Najee Harris, you know, 20, 25 times a game. And that kid's actually pretty – he's impressed me too, catching the ball to the backfield as well too, right? So I think they're going to be there. I think, that, you know, that division is actually going to come down to the end. I think Baltimore is eventually going to separate themselves. I think at the end of the day, you know, Lamar Jackson – is the best quarterback in the division. I just feel like they do have the highest upside, in my personal opinion, that Baltimore team, when they get to be back to and be full, and fully healthy and ready to go, right? So, No doubt. Yeah, it's, um, you know, t- talking about Pittsburgh, it, it's an or. Like, you know, I, I, you've been down to the to Pittsburgh a few times. Sure. And I've been down a couple times, um, I think two or three times, to see see the Steelers play. And, and you just, you get into the stadium and it's it's a, it's a belief of, of every, it's a different feeling, right? Like you go to Buffalo and you get the party feeling and everybody's good. And it's a, it's a tough place to play, but you go into, you go into Pittsburgh and to me, I, I, you feel it in the city, you feel it in every bar you go into and every restaurant you walk into it's steel town. It's, it's, it's black and gold and it's a, it's a belief and it's a, you know, not that they're, they're snobbish or they, they put their nose up at you, but, you can tell, like, you know, they, they say Green Bay's title town, and I've never had the opportunity to go to Green Bay yet. But to me, Pittsburgh, out of out of the 16 NFL stadiums that I've, I've stepped foot in and, and been blessed enough to be able to step foot in, to me, that was the one that was like, okay, if you were going to call one title town, it would be Pittsburgh because it's different than any other feeling. It's different than, than walking into a Jacksonville or a Miami or a Carolina or a Buffalo or a Cleveland or any of these stadiums. It's like, okay, this is different. Like this is, this, this is a championship type of town. Right. So. I'm with you. It's an attitude and mentality. And it's, you know, it starts at the head coaching position, works its way through the leadership and the roster. And then, like you said, it's these fans that grew up in the seventies with, you know, the mean Joe Greens and whatnot and the Bradshaws and, you know, the Franco Harris and all the rest of it, all the legends that have come through there. It's just, it's a legendary program, right? And I think, you know, the one thing that scares me a little bit, not to go off on a, on a tangent here, but if you want to talk about, you know, a team getting its moxie, getting its confidence back, you know, the Cowboys keep winning ball games, man. Trust me, you don't think that that's going to run through that franchise as well, too. Again, it's a team that at one point in time was the shining star, not to, you know, pardon the pun, was the shining star of the NFL. And, and, you know, they get that swagger back, man. It's swagger, yeah. it's confidence, man. That's all it is. You, know, you get that mentality. Even Buffalo's getting it back now. So you mean, tell me, like, you go and ask the legends, you know, the, you know, the Kellys, the, the Thurmans, the rest of the world, the guys that were there when they are you know, winning AFC championships. Like, they're saying the same thing, that, like, Josh and the rest of the leaders on that team, like, there's it's a confidence. It's, it's an expectation that you're going to win the games you're supposed to win, and it's, Buffalo's going to be a hard place to play. And, you know, winning the division or at least going on a little bit of a run is 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 expected now, right? And I yeah. think that's how it's always been in Pittsburgh. They never, ever enter a season expecting to rebuild or not be competitive. And I think that's what you're going to see now in a lot of these other, you know, re, reborn franchises as well that were, you know, powerhouses back, you know, 20-plus years ago, right? So, yeah. 
That's a great way to end it off, old boy. Well said. Let's get over to our um, mid-season reviews and awards. Um, we've specifically picked five uh, awards that we want to hand out. So we're going to hand out an Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year, and MVP. Old boy, let I'll let you start it off. Offensive Player of the Year, where are you going? Well, I tell you where I'm going. I'm going back to Cali, and I'm going to go ahead and, and, and award this one to a young man from the University of East Washington is having an absolutely incredible, you know, opening eight games of the year. So my offensive player of the year through the midseason point of the year is going to go to Cooper Cup and what that man has done as wide receiver one with his new quarterback in L.A., this guy, like the stat that ESPN flashed the other day on their social media, which was incredible. He's the first player in the Super Bowl era with 900 receiving yards and 10 receiving touchdowns through their first eight games. The guy's on pace for 133 receptions, almost 2,000 yards receiving, and 21 touchdowns. Wow. It's amazing. It's wow. amazing. And the kid's a technician, right? Remember last year when you and I were doing our preview for the season, you're talking about guys at certain positions you're expecting to take a next step, and you're going on about this kid. He's a technician. You know, the way he, you know, runs his routes, and he can run a full tree, and he's so clean, and he's, you know, his understanding of leverage and how to create spacing and whatnot. Like, you know, obviously him and Stafford are just totally hitting it off, and I I love it, man. So far for me, obviously, like, listen, had Derek Henry not got hurt this weekend, he would be my guy, but with him now done for the rest of the season, I'm going to the next man in line who's having even just as much of an incredible season so far, and it's Cooper Cup. So, yeah, you know, you know, I, I'm, I was just racking my brain and listening to you talk there, and I'm trying to was trying to think of a, a comp, and he reminds me of of a of a Marvin Harrison in in Indy, where you know he he could just do everything, and it, and it's not like you said, it's not that he's got one elite skill where it's like, okay, he's super fast or he's a separator or he's this, he's just really fucking good at everything that is asked of a wide receiver. And, and when you put who I think is now the offensive player, and I'll give you my pick now, and that's his quarterback. When you put him with a quarterback like Matty Stafford, it's just a relationship made in heaven. Um, Both of the guys absolutely love football they're fully committed to football. There's nothing else. They got their families and all that type of stuff. But, you know, when the season's going, it's football and it's football only, right, for both of those guys. And they're committed and, and ready for a Super Bowl run. So tell me more about Matt Stafford. What, talking about these numbers, I don't know if you got anything in front of you in terms of what, what you've seen, but from a production standpoint, Come it's, pretty, it's pretty 20, impressive how much better 20, they 20, are. 22 TDs, only four picks. There's only one guy on, on my list that's throwing less picks, and he's in my MVP boat, and that's, uh, that's JA-17. But, you know, twenty over 2,400 yards, almost 2,500, 69% completion. The thing that the thing that that's blown my mind about Stafford and Cup was there was these these grand expectations of you know we're gonna we're gonna come in and we're gonna we're gonna go on a Super Bowl run and we're gonna be in the Super Bowl at SoFi Stadium with fans back and it was it was this grand allure of you know this is gonna be the season and and the, the expectations couldn't have been higher and they've blown them out of the water. I agree with you. Like you, with you know what I mean? Like it's like. 
I, I, I just I'm, I'm sitting here through eight weeks going, okay, we, we knew what we thought we were going to get. And, and now it's like, we've got that and more and significantly more like it's, it's absolutely unbelievable. And everything's pulled off. Hey, have they, they leveraged the future in LA a little bit? Yeah. You're damn right. They have like, Hey, three picks in the 2022 draft. Like the, the future's not shaping up too well, but Hey, kudos to have the balls to go all in and, and push your chips all in on, on this type of year. Right. You got it, man. They, like, you know, in that division, we always say you can't be just middling around, at the quarterback position, it's 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 obvious that Goff wasn't a guy like you know the year over year increase or improvement in offensive efficiency with Stafford under center is crazy. Like they're averaging thirty point six points per game. Yeah, right. A full touchdown better than the twenty three point three points per game average they had with Goff under center. You know, it's it's nuts. Even in the passing yardage. Averaging over fifty passing yards more per game with Stafford than with Goff, yeah. and already, like you said, already he has twenty-two touchdowns thrown. Goff only had twenty over the all of last season. Like it's 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 crazy how much more now that vertical explosive passing games opened up. You know, you've seen that 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 type of offense that McVay was rolling out in eighteen and nineteen. Now you're seeing it back and humming at you know that high efficiency, that high clip. They're my team right now, especially after the, the Von the Von Miller trade. Like, don't even go there. Talk about like now, you know, an abundance of riches you know, on both sides. Yeah, they're my they're my pick to represent the NFC at home in the Super Bowl, which would be I think would be incredible for them to host it. I know last year we had it with Brady and and the Bucks in in Tampa, but now with that brand new facility in LA, Different I think it'd market. be a great it'd yeah. be a great it'd be just be such a great subplot story to have them there you know, represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. And I think right now they're on track to be there. Yeah, I, I got them over Green Bay and, and the Cardinals as well, no doubt. Yeah. And, and you're right. It And I had it written down on my sheet. Number one in the league, 40-plus uh, yard plays. They've already got 10. So they're averaging over one-plus, a little bit over a play a game of 40-plus yards. And, and that's the thing is, like, and you nailed it. Like, okay, Deshaun Jackson, we saw he got released today. He's out the door, but he wasn't, he's not the Deshaun Jackson of 2012, 2013. Like it's Van Jefferson, it's Cooper Cup, and it's, That's right. it's, it's Bobby Trees. Bobby Trees, man. The one that got away, man. The one that got away. <laughs> yeah. But none of those guys are burners. Like none of no. those guys, you look at the, the, you know, their 40 time and you look at their, their speed and you're like, okay. So it's that combination of, of, you know, the scheme and the execution and it's just that, that perfect marriage right now. So, so I, I'm not, I can't argue too much cup Stafford. We're both in the same mind frame. Sure. I had a, I had a couple guys I wanted to shout out. I think, it, you know, you got to give a shout out to Devonte Adams. I think, you know, I know he missed the last game, but it, you put him in there with another eight to 12 catches with, that he would have had against the Cardinals. He's off to a sweet start. And you know what? Jonathan Taylor's starting to get humming now. Uh, 649 yards, six TDs. Um, he's a kid that um, top five back in the NFL, no doubt. 100. percent It's just you know, my biggest thing with with Taylor's. Obviously, you know the rest of that team just not not answering the bell. And you know, at the end of the day, with a lot of these awards, although they're individual awards, the team's got to be they got to be at least in the conversation. You know what I mean? Like they got to be at least over 500. Hopefully, a playoff team for it really to fully you know make sense, right? So, yeah. Let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Defensive player of the year. I'm going to surprise you on this one. 
Do you want me to go first? I want you to surprise me and lead it off, big guy. What okay, you so, so you know it, it pains me to do this because of the team that he plays for, but he comes over as a free agent. They get a bunch of guys back. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Go. Off of, off of the COVID list, you know what? I didn't know if he would fit. We talked about back in on August 18th when you're, you last joined us on the cast about this squad and we were worried about their front seven we talked that night about yeah you know miami's front seven obviously not very good we were right on that one we were worried about the front the front seven on uh on the defensive side of the ball for this team and the and the offensive line as well but their front seven is rock solid they're playing great they've got a great defensive coach listen Almost 30 tackles, nine tackles for loss. He's got a couple sacks. He's all over the football field. He plays on the left side. He plays on the right side. He's the Kyle. He's the new Kyle Van Noy for them. I'm going defensive player of the year. I'm, I'm, I'm ignoring all the noise. I'm ignoring the, the, the big, sexy Trayvon Diggs and the picks because that, that I've seen that story before. I've seen corner after corner sure. um, come in and get picks off tip balls here, tip balls there. It, there's a little bit of luck in that, but there's not luck in making tackles for loss and sacks and big-time impact plays. Matthew Judon, my defensive player of the year. I love that pick. The guy's been explosive. He's been at the cornerstone of this little bit of a short rebound here from Pats and got them back now into – playoff contention and really still in the conversation for the division. I think Buffalo is still going to end up winning the East, but if you don't think that they're keeping an eye on what New England's doing here, winning games and hanging tight against the Bucks and the Cowboys, they're going to be a tough out. I'm actually, I can't wait for these two games here over the next, you know, six weeks where they get, yeah. you know, that one primetime game at home, Monday night football, Bills, Pats. It's going to be great. It's going to be a good test. I think New England's they're building something there, and I think they very well may end up being a playoff team this year. I don't think they're going to win the division. I think it's still going to be Buffalo's, but they're going to be there, and Matthew Judon has been an absolutely massive piece. For all the money they spent in the offseason, I agree with you. They're getting the reaping the rewards from that kid. So now listen, I'm going to go kind of chalk here only because I think at the end of the day, you know, when it comes to defensive play of the year, you're looking for sexy stats, you're looking for sacks, looking for tackles for loss, you're looking for quarterback pressures. I'm going to go with the Grim Reaper himself. The Grim Reaper, I was just going to say the same thing, yeah. I love that costume. I, I didn't see Allen's name on the back. I don't think he's got him yet. I, I didn't see Allen's name on the back of his hood there, but I'm going to go with the big man in Cleveland, Mr. Miles Garrett, number 95. I think he right now would be your, your favorite. But let's talk about Diggs because – it's an interesting conversation. You start digging a little bit deeper into the history of that award, right? You know, it's a, over the last 50 years of them naming a NFL Defensive Player of the Year, there's only been six corners who have won that award, right? And so my answer, my question to you would be, what would Trayvon Diggs have to do? What would the back half of this schedule or season look like from him, from his perspective in terms of production? What would it have to look like for him to be the seventh guy at the cornerback position to win this award? So what is what is he at? Six picks right now, right? He's got seven picks. Seven picks. Okay. Okay. So he's up to seven now. He's got a couple defensive touchdowns. He's got 11 yeah. passes defended. He's on pace to break or match NFL records in a lot of those categories, right? So so he's got he's got he's got to have I think he's got to get to at least double digits, if not into the 11 or 12 in terms of the picks. And then he's got to have a couple he's got to have one more like signature play. Like a like a big time, you know, Thanksgiving, Trayvon Diggs, Cowboys are down to to the to Vegas late in the fourth quarter, and Diggs punches the ball out, recovers it, and wins them the game. 
um, or or a pick six on the sideline on Carr to end it, like you know, to to seal it on Thursday. And you know, there he is with the the big turkey leg, and he's eating it on the sidelines. Like to me, that's to to really put himself on the map, right? Because we know the NFL loves offense, and and that's it. So he's got to go stake his claim. I think he's got to get to eleven or twelve picks. He needs a few more, few more of those signature plays, and a, a and a big time. Another, I think another touchdown might seal it for him, old boy. I'm with you. You know what he needs? He needs a Taron Johnson type, Baltimore pick in the playoffs last year, where you're literally intercepting one in the red zone, in the end zone, and you're running it back for like a game changing pick six that just like you know pushes them over the top in a game where they're either trailing or it's super tight down the stretch. Here, I'm with you, big guy. Yeah. Let's go over. We'll flip back over to the offensive side, and we'll go to our rookies now. This one, I actually had a tough time, and I've got five names on there. I know one of them I can scratch off, but I'm going to give him a shout-out anyways because I love my big uglies, and I'm pounding the table, and I actually think he's the offensive rookie of the year. But um, tough sledding here. You know, when you first think about it, you know, everybody wants to go to the sexy, you know, number one big playmaker in Cincinnati. But there's a couple other options here that are, are you know, quite viable and, and a couple options that – May t- we all know that Chase is probably the, the leader in the clubhouse after nine holes right now. But, you know, there's a, there's a couple guys that are lurking in the wings here. And if he slips up or, or they start to go to Boyd or Higgins a little bit more and his numbers kind of come back down, uh, there's a couple guys that can come up and snag this award from him. For sure there, for sure there is. I, I, for me personally, you're right. Right now he is your number one. Um, and that's just because what he's been doing in terms of just not just he's basically doing what Jefferson did last year in Minnesota, where the guy comes in. Now, again, he didn't have a slow start. I know Jefferson kind of tiptoed in and basically, you know, I think it was the second or third game where he started to break out. But, man, I tell you, we're going to look back, you know, a decade from now at the offensive talent and weaponry they had in LSU at that national championship team, the Burrow under center, and you have Jefferson and Clyde Edwards, Larry and Jamar Chase, and like, Holy crap, man! You could end up having you know, you know, three or four Pro Bowl type guys on the offensive side of the ball there from one program, all kind of coming out all at once, right? So, I, for me personally, you know, I'm actually interested in I, only because I think I've been really impressed with what I've seen from him in terms of his progression. The playbook starting to open up for him now. He's starting to push the ball downfield a little bit more. It's actually a team that I'm surprised didn't make a call for like a Deshaun Watts or sorry, a Deshaun Jackson type as a, a deep threat is Mac Jones in New England, right? This kid now is starting to really impress me with how poised he is, how well he's protecting the ball. And, and you can see now that, you know, McDaniel's starting to open things up from a little yep. bit now, right? You know, early on, it was all these critics and I was one of them. And you and I had this conversation about how, you know, he had a tendency to check it down and there was that lack yeah. of explosive plays downfield. But well, I think the depth of target was like sub, or the the um, depth per uh, reception was like six point eight or something like that. It was it was pathetic, like last in the league. I agree, I agree. Yeah. But now you're getting a yards per attempt now of you know, a little over seven yards, which yeah. is still not great. But he's starting to push it downfield a little bit more, and they've been putting up like twenty five points or more the last four weeks. So like the offense there is starting to hum along. He's got a nice run game. The offensive lines improved, and I think you know what, man. Oh, how about this question for you? I know before you give me your pick, what would things have to look like for Mac Jones to end up winning this 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 award here? Would they have to win the division with and him leading the way for him to win this award? No, no, I don't think so. 
I think I think I think he can come in at ten wins, eleven wins, and and have a chance to win this award. I think for him, he's got to continue to protect the football um, and just play efficiently. Like I think if he can come in at like a two and a half to two point seven touchdown interception ratio. Um, I don't know quite where I don't have the stats up in front of me now, but um, I don't know where he's at now, but I think that would be something that, you know, could, could catapult him. And if he's, you know what, Hey, if he's at 4,000 yards, we got the extra game in there. If he's over that 4,000 yard mark, he's definitely in the conversation. You know, if you're throwing, you know, even two and a half picks or touchdowns, the picks you're, you're over 4,000 yards you led your team to 10, 11 wins. How could you not be in the rookie, especially at that position, knowing that you're, you've got the ball in your hands and you're the leader on offense. He's going to be in that conversation, even if they don't win the division. So, so give it to me then. I know you didn't go with Chase. and I know you're not going with Mac Jones. So who do you like so far? No. And, and I, I'll be honest. So like I said, to start it off, Chase is the leader in the clubhouse, but he's the, he's the easy pick. I'm going to sure. take the easy pick on the defensive rookie of the year. Cause I think he's the only pick. Sure. And, and my true, you know, I love my big ugly. So I know Rayshon Slater to me, I pounded the table uh, for him. I told people that oh, it's a, he's a beast, me, man. He's a sure, he's a beast. sure ballot hall of famer. Um, even a guy like I, I pounded the table for Trey Smith. We saw what he did last night with that sleeper pick. But yeah. He's not, he's not there yet. Slater to me is going to be a Hall of Famer. To me, he's the guy, but I'm going to go with Kyle Pitts. And I think what we've seen over the last three weeks here, and, and here's why I'm going to go with Pitts Harris is a running back. Okay. The ball's going to be put into your hands in Pittsburgh 20 plus times a game. Sure. And, and it's it's handed off to you. The tight end position is a position. You look at rookie tight ends. There's not too many rookie tight ends in history that come in and even do. And I know he got off to a slow start and he was learning his way. But a slow start typically for tight ends is is two years. Like you look at a guy like Tony G and, and some of these big, big name tight ends that have that have come in. There's a there's a two year progression for tight ends in terms of learning the position there's a lot to learn and and you've got to you've got to know the blocking schemes you've got to know the route combinations and the route schemes like it's not just you know a wide receiver and okay i'm going to be in the x receiver spot for you know 70 percent or 80 percent of my snaps so i've got i've got to learn i got to know that you've got to learn blocking you've got to learn the routes kyle pitts is a three down player right now and i know he's getting split out and he's that new version tight end but he's still on the field he's still got a blocking responsibility and what he's done in the last three games to me with uh you know six plus receptions in all three of them going over 100 yards twice kyle pitts i'm taking him because i think he's gonna i'm i'm projecting a little bit here old boy Mm -hmm. i've seen what i've i've seen what i've seen over the last three games I think he's going to f- finish the season strong, especially with the unknown with Calvin Ridley. Russell Gage hasn't been able to stay healthy. He's he's the number one target. He's the number in, one target in Atlanta. Yeah. And I think his numbers are going to go through the roof, and he's got the quarterback to get him the ball and find him the ball. And yeah, I no, think Arthur Smith's going to be able to to scheme it up a little bit for him too. He's a freak, man. I just I I have a hard time with the tight end. You know, the, he's a tight end as per, you know, ESPN fantasy, but in real yeah. life, like you said, right, he's, it's like this, he's like this gadget weapon that can basically do a whole bunch of things for you and just be a, a freak physical matchup, right? So, no, well, listen, it was, man. what's that one, Sal, uh, friend of the show, Sal Capaccio, he dropped the stat the other day. Mike Gusecki has played four, had leaded into the Buffalo game and played four downs 
at the traditional tight end spot with his with his hand in the ground. Right. Everything so that... else was was slot outside, like standing up, like he's a wide he's a wide receiver. Just he's got tight end on the, on the position front on his name, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. He's a more he's you're, that's actually a great comp. He's a, a much more dynamic and athletic version of Gasecki, but like they're used very similarly. That's a great comp. I agree with you on that one there. So. Yeah. Oh, so boy. Talk to me about the defensive side of the ball. Do, do we got. even need to have a conversation? Or you want to just skip right by it? It's well, Mike, no, Par- listen, it's Mike, you know, Mike you know, Parsons. I want you. I agree with you. I want you to have this conversation. Like you know, I was watching. You know, listening to the guys in the NFL Network. Uh, I think it was Monday morning. You know, on on the Sirius satellite heading into work, and he, you know, Bobby Belt there from the NFL Network is going on saying that Parsons became the first rookie in NFL history with 10 solo tackles and four tackles for loss in a single game in that game versus the Vikings on the weekend, right? He's an absolute beast. And, and I think, you know, when you had that beat writer on there from the Cowboys, he gave yep, you all Kevin that Turner, color, yep. right? Kevin, right? Kevin Turner, I think his name was right. Is that yep. right? Yeah. But all the different, you know, just the, the versatility, right? And this, the guy's such a physical freak and he has such good instincts to get, you know, he's he's one of those guys that just you look up and he's always around the ball and he's always he reads the game so well and he's shedding those blocks and he's blowing through gaps and he's just his anticipation and his pursuit and his physical tools is just off the wall. But you know, before we keep going on and sing this kid's praises here, I want you to give me a little bit, you know, of what, what your view is of an old university teammate of his, another Penn State boy who I think is having an absolutely fantastic rookie season. Uh, and that's uh, Odefe away or Jason away in Baltimore. In right? Baltimore. You know, this kid, man. So he's actually tied with Parsons for the rookie lead in quarterback pressures with pressures, 23 yeah. pressures. Okay. He's got three sacks on the year. And I think what I loved most about this kid was I remember when, you know, when, when everyone was talking about the bills at the end of the, of the first round, looking at kind of a project style, you know, like a pure athletic freak DN that was maybe a little bit raw in college, but they thought they could coach him up. You know, these are the two names you kept hearing me mention away and Greg Russo, the bills went with Russo at 30. They go with away at 31 and 31 put him in that Baltimore system with Martindale and whatnot. And that heavy blitz package where, they're always generating pressure and giving these guys the opportunity to go out and get the quarterback. And, you know, listen, man, you can't teach four, three, seven speed at 257 pounds. The guy's a freak, yeah. right? Physical so, freak. I'm with you. Parsons by all way, like by every measurable out there, he is the odds on favorite. I just, I want to give the kid a shout out. I think he's having a great year. And I think he would be my runner up right now. Uh, if the season ended today. Yeah, I can't argue that. And you know what? We talked earlier in the cast about, we talked about Pittsburgh, right, and and just that that mindset of of you know running the football. It's the same in Baltimore. It's that defensive mindset. It's it's the the ability to to draft linebackers going all the way back to Rex Ryan to Wink Martindale now, and and finding linebackers that fit their scheme, and then being able to use them in a position of strength for them. Like it, you start to go on from you know, away to Patrick Queen to, you know, uh, Terrell Suggs to like the list is Matthew Judon. Like there's so many, and that's just off the top of my head, four or five guys in the last few years, like Ray Lewis and, and Peter Bulware. And like, I, we could, we could go all night. Like we could literally go all night long with linebackers that have been in Baltimore and away. It's kind of like you said, he, he is that physical freak and 
you know, DN linebacker, like it's, it's tough in that three, four scheme that, that morphs and is so multiple, but effectively it's an edge rusher, whether it's an edge rusher or inside linebacker, like they just, they're so vital to their scheme in Baltimore. And when they, they just pick these guys and use them to their strength and they find a way. And it's just the mentality in Baltimore, that defensive mentality that they're so good at. Well, I just love the economics of it, right? Like, so you let Judon walk because you didn't want to pay him what he's going to get paid in the open market. And then, you know, you fill him with a kid like this, where I don't think, I don't think they expected the type of production, you know, from a kid that was viewed mostly as a, you know, I'd say kind of a probably a work in progress coming out of Penn State. Like, I don't have the stat in front of me here, but I think, like, I correct me if I'm wrong. I think this guy didn't have a single a single sack last year at Penn State. Like, there's something shocking about his production. If you look at it from a pure sack standpoint at Penn State, that you know, even last year when you had you know both him and Parsons on the field for you know a bunch of games together, for him not to generate you know one sack is is crazy. Now again, don't quote me on that, but I think it was something like shocking. Like it was either zero or just maybe a couple of sacks for a guy who was projected to be a first round pick, right? So. Yeah. Crazy. No, listen, man. It's uh, I, you know how it is, right? You love this infusion of young talent. You love seeing guys coming in on both sides of the ball, impacting the game, and and you know, listen, a guy like Micah Parsons, like we're talking rookie of the year. That guy should be if he keeps playing ball like this, he should be Pro Bowl caliber style middle linebacker in Dallas. Like that guy should be in Hawaii, wherever the hell they have the Pro Bowl these days. He should be there representing the NFC this year. He's playing that great ball. So can't argue, buddy. Let's finish it off. MVP, um, probably five real legitimate names. Who do you got as your halfway MVP right now? I know we don't hand out the hardware officially, but who are you taking? You know what, man? It's uh, I know our boy Josh Allen is the Vegas favorite, and I think you can't dispute what he means to the Bills in terms of you know production on both sides. No, I mean both sides. I mean both you know, throwing the ball and what he generates on the ground with his legs, right? There's no disputing what he what he provides to the team. But for me, and you've already made a case for him, so I'm not going to keep, you know, you know, throwing more on this guy and, and patting him on the back, but my midseason MVP is Matty Stafford and what he's done in L.A. And I just feel like it's just, it's so remarkable what this guy's done. And I, and I think there's a little bit of that, you know, big market bias, right? I think at the end of the year, I'm not disputing that what Buffalo's, what Josh doing in Buffalo, and obviously, you know, the eyes of of the of the nation and, and all of North America is keeping an eye on what's going on in Buffalo right now. But I think you know what's happening with Matty Stafford and that high flying offense in LA. And because let's be honest, right? Like you know, you saw it again on on Sunday versus Miami, like. Yeah, at the end of the day, you look up and you're like, holy crap, the guy threw for two, almost 250 yards and 50 yards on the ground, almost you know 300 plus yards of total offense. But, you know, I don't think we've even seen Josh play his best football yet this year. Like, There's been a couple of games where he's totally lit up the other side. But, you know, through seven games, I think he's probably only played at an MVP caliber for maybe three of them. Yep. The yep. Pittsburgh game. Uh, I'd even say the first Miami game wasn't that great. It was only that third game where, you know, when he lit up the skins where we said, okay, this is the guy that we saw last year. This is that MVP front runner last year that we saw. And then, you know, even on Sunday, it wasn't, you know, the first half was pretty ugly. And I don't know if that was, you know, play call or execution or whatnot, but I think he's the scary thing is, man, is here he is as the odds on Vegas favorite. And yet I think this guy sells another gear. And that's what I'm super excited about is I feel like you just wait, man. You haven't even seen the best yet of this guy. He's still learning the game. He's still growing. He's still kind of, you know, perfecting his craft, right? So 
How about you, big guy? Who do you got for me so far? Yeah, to, to, to talk and just to throw an extra point there on on Josh is you know what you love is is the three interceptions, only eight sacks, and I know he's so his pocket presence has gotten so much better. He's not throwing picks. Okay, he makes the odd little silly play like he's trying to you know do the 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 toss back uh, you know this week in the in the Miami game and the ball goes off Moss's hands and out of bounds. Thank yeah, God. But, yeah. So he's got those little plays here and there, but. It's not the big time negative plays that I like, but when you're talking MVP, there's only one stat and it's 80, 86%, 86% of the Baltimore Ravens offense comes from, (laughs) comes from number eight. And you, and you know, I was, I was the biggest hater, if you will, in terms of, of believing in this guy, but what would the Baltimore Ravens be without Lamar Jackson? No, you know what, man, like, so what they is the, the Miami so, Dolphins? They what would, is the, what, yeah, no, the I Miami agree. Dolphins? I agree. So what, what is the number though? I think it's like almost 350 of yards of total offense so far on average. He's generating on both sides. Am I right? It's yeah. something like astronomical, right? It's crazy what he's doing right now. And that's without their, you know, they're starting top two running backs and even at wide out, you, 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 Rashard Bateman's not there for most of the year. And then, you know, Sammy's in and out and obviously Hollywood Brown's taking a step and, Mark Andrews is Mr. Dependable, but I'm with you, man. I think it's been it's been his presence in the pocket and his ability yeah. to actually throw the ball downfield and not just tuck it and run and make plays with his legs. It's his ability to throw the ball from the pocket, which is like really, you know, that, that's a scary thing, right? Is that this guy won the MVP two years ago and he was nowhere near as refined of a passer as he is this year. And that's what I mean about the Ravens, right? Is that that team gets healthy. And they start getting some pieces back and they start kind of gelling a bit and kind of working out some of these kinks. Not to mention, they've had a pretty tough opening start to the schedule, right? Like, you know, I think once they're ready to go and they're fully fit, that should be the team to beat in the AFC North. And I really do think it's them and Buffalo who are the kind of the creme de la creme in the AFC in terms of who's really fighting it out for the number one overall seed in in the conference. So, Yeah, especially with, with Henry going down now for sure. Right. So, oh boy, that that rounds out our our uh, awards, and we'll check back at the end of the year to see uh, to see how we did and how it uh, how it played out. Before we uh, we rifle through our game lines and we talk about the the big four or five matchups this week, and and we'll send our listeners off the break. I'm going to give you four names. Okay, a rapid yes. fire here, and and I just want uh, who will be fired first? Mike Zimmer, Joe Judge, Brian Flores. Or Matt Nagy? I think it's got to be Zimmer. I just think what you've seen from that offense, given the talent they have there in Minnesota, it's shocking. It's it's like we said before. It looks like he's running a you know a, an offense from the Stone Ages there in terms of you know constantly this play action crap or you know these little dinks and dunks behind the line of scrimmage. It's it's, it's just nuts. I think it's got to be Zimmer. They need a change in Minnesota. There's too much offensive talent there for them to be you know laying an egg and not being able to beat you know, uh, a Cooper rush led Dallas Cowboys at yeah, home. Like it would, to me, it's how, how does CJ ham get, get uh, right. one less, one less target than Justin Jefferson on Sunday night football. It's like CJ ham's getting three and, and, you know, Conklin, I know he's done a, a decent job uh, coming in for Irv Smith jr. Here um, for the first eight weeks, but sure. But you know, he, he's getting seven targets and, and I get it, game plan scheme. They're going to double team Jefferson now, and we've started to see that over the last few weeks here. That that teams have started to. It's no longer doubling Adam Thielen. It's doubling Justin Jefferson. Sure. And and Thielen's starting to reap the rewards a little bit. But 
you got to find a way to get your playmakers the ball. You look at teams like, you know, Dayball and, and Kansas City and, and with Tyreek Hill, like you find a way to get your playmakers the ball. And, and you know, four targets for Justin Jefferson in a football game on Sunday Night Football is an absolute joke. I'm going with Joe Judge, old boy. Um, you are, eh? Yeah, just hey, blaming the headsets. Like, come on now. You're an NFL coach. like I know. I saw like, that. Yeah, I know. I'm with you, man. Like, enough of the excuses. Now, listen, they haven't been healthy. Like, the problem with them is they've invested, they invested so much on the offensive side, especially those skill positions out wide. And have they even had a chance to roll out a Tony, yeah, Holiday, Slayton, Shepard? Like, they haven't been able to roll out what they had anticipated for Daniel Jones to really take that next step. Like, you know, I was singing their praises a bit. I thought they actually had a pretty good offseason. I was hoping that you were going to see – you know, fully fit Saquon with Daniel Jones in year three. And now they have a big alpha dog target out wide. You have a nice gadget weapon who's almost in the Tyreek mold and Kadarius Tony. They had so many pieces there, right? And it was, yeah, yeah. you know, in a, in a division, which, you know, obviously now Dallas has taken that step and have established themselves as the creme de la creme. But, you know, I thought they'd be more competitive than what we've seen from them. And I, I'm with you. It's just, a, you got to take accountability, right? That's what they're paying the big bucks for, man, is to, is to be, is to step up and say it's on you and, you know, like it's it's like McDermott against Tennessee a couple of weeks back, right? He stepped up. He didn't blame Josh for slipping on that on that fourth and one and not not getting the conversion. It was, hey, listen, it was on me for not doing this, that, and the other, and I I should have had a better game script, a better call there. Like that's the that's the job of the, of the head coach is to step up and and take that pressure off your players and 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 be the the head of that team, right? So I'm with you, man. No problem. No accountability. No um, well, let's let's rifle through uh, and we'll we'll talk a couple of the the big matchups here, but. Um, one that I wanted to point out, big matchup, actually two that I think are playoff or bust matchup. Browns Bengals. I think the loser of that team, the loser of that game misses the playoffs. And I also think the Gilly Locks return against New England. Four and four New England heading to Carolina. Four and four. The loser of that game will miss the playoffs. Agree or disagree? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you now. I, I think I agree on both sides there. Um, I'm not even fully sure that Carolina is. I know right now, if the thing of season ended today, they'd be there as seventh seed, I think, but I'm not buying what they're selling. I'm just not seeing enough, you know, consistent quarterback play out of Darnold. I, I was high on him, maybe, you know, rebounding and taking a step and, and showing his pedigree once he left the Jets and got away from Adam Gase and all the crap that was happening there and, and had a chance to kind of get a fresh start elsewhere. But he hasn't been playing good ball the last couple of weeks. And and I think, man, I, I'd be shocked if New England didn't walk into that game, given, you know, the high that they're flying on right now and going in and handle them pretty handily. And and the other game, I think for Cincinnati, it's, you know, now now that you're the hunted, right? And here they are for what? I guess it lasted a week there where they're in first place and they were, you know, exceeding expectations. It's, you know, can you reset mentally? I, I think Joe Burrow's got a great head in the shoulders. I, I'm really been impressed with the kid in front of the mic and being a leader and, you know, has that venture, that veteran-like presence. Like, it's funny, you know, you hear a lot of these talking heads saying they kind, he kind of reminds them of like a little bit of a baby Tom Brady in terms of the way he carries himself and he's a professional and, you know, you know, you saw him with that hot mic. You can't zero me. You can't zero. You're going to try and zero me. And he's like, you know, put the ball in my hands and, and he, you know, he's full of confidence, and I, I think the kid's great and all, but it's a big test, man, because I think the Brownies are going to try and run it down their throat and try and out-muscle these guys and be super physical, and I think 
I think Stefanski is going to have the the coaching edge there, right, versus Zach Taylor. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to those Bengals if they can come home, rebound from a disappointing game against the Jets, and reestablish themselves as you know as a as a team to beat in the North. There, that's going to be a great yeah. Game. I, think, I think it's a big game for that Bengals D to answer the bell, right? After getting shellacked a little bit, letting up 30, 34 points, like you said, um, tons of yak, like you mentioned, two hundred forty forty yards yak against that the, the Jets and. I think it's a big game for that Bengals D to answer. And and I agree with your Carolina statement. They're in a little bit of shambles. I think New England's riding high. They're going to come in. Last two games, and we'll send it off the break, and we'll uh, we'll end it off, old boy. Green Bay going to uh, play in the Chiefs. 7-1, and 4-3, 54.5 is the game, uh, game total. Somehow the Chiefs are one-point favorites to open up here at the start of the week. And then the big, that's a 425 game. And then the big Sunday night matchup. Um, not so big with Henry out would have been a monster Sunday night matchup. Titans um, at Rams seven and one six and two, fifty three and a half is the game total, and the Rams open up at seven and a half point favorites. Gotta love that Sunday night football matchup, even though Derrick Henry's not playing. Yeah, so let's start. Let's start with the the Green Bay KC game. I, I still don't think. I still think that Vegas is overrating. The, the Chiefs, Chiefs, man. Yeah. Something doesn't seem right in KC. I get it, right? Like, a lot of what's been happening here with these turnovers is totally fluky. Like, you saw the one last night with, you know, one off someone's helmet and then into, you know, the defender's arms there with the Giants. And then even the play with Kelsey. But Kelsey's usually pretty sure-handed. And I can't remember how many times that guy's fumbled the ball in his career. But I feel like that's a rarity, right? He's not known to be putting the ball on the ground like that, right? And But it's just – it's the turnovers. And you know what it is, too? It's, it's Patrick Mahomes' – inability or unwillingness to just take what the defense gives you stop trying to bomb the goddamn thing down the field 40 plus yards looking for the hail hail mary you know home run to tyreek or harvin or whatnot like just take like i'm sorry man you mean to tell me that if they lined up hill the way the bills lined up beasley and you just had him creating you know an opening in space in the open field that he couldn't you know create two or three yards of separation versus anyone on the field and just have him just get open like you should have 20 catches he shot 20 balls, 20 targets every game, and it's literally dink and dunk and let that guy make guys miss and then, you know, take a couple shots. But I just feel like, you know, I don't know if Patrick's getting frustrated or if he's – what it is, he's putting too much pressure on himself. Like, you know, you see that with, like, with Josh and t- sometimes and some of the other big alpha dog quarterbacks where they try and they try and get it all back with one throw. And it's like, yeah, just take what they give you. But that that's the thing is a lot of these defenses now, that's what they're doing, right? They're saying, listen, I'm going to sit back. I'm not going to let you beat me over the top. Do you have the patience to have it be a 15, yep. 20 play drive and beat the Bills? Like, McDermott you know? and Frazier wrote the blue, the blue, the blueprint. That's it, man. You know, from, from two from um, last year to the game this year on Sunday night. To me, they wrote the the blueprint on on stopping that Chiefs defense or slowing them down. One thing that scares me too, old boy, and I agree with you on 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 taking the easy money, right? But what I noticed last night in the last two games that I've had the opportunity to watch Mahomes is the accuracy, the yeah, fundament, yeah. the fundamentals are breaking down, and it's, it's not just, it's not just the the you know not taking the easy money. It's even on the completions. You know, I, I think of that speed out, and and Dan Orlovsky put one up on Twitter today. It's the location of the ball on on these throws that is also not allowing one his receivers to get the yak and and you know turn 12 into 18 or 25 like they used to two yeah a lot of people at, at a at a you know 
high level will say, oh, the, the turnovers are, are, you know, they're a little bit fluky, da, 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 da. But are they, though? When you right. look at, it, like, when you look at inaccurate throws, and I think of the Hill throw, again, when Micah Hyde had the pit six on Sunday night, that was just that half yard too far off his hands, picked. You know, I saw a couple throws last night that were just a little bit inaccurate, and I see the fundamentals breaking down. He's leaving the pocket way too early. He's off a little bit, and it's just those little small things all adding up, not taking the easy money, and all of a sudden now it's not the same Patrick Mahomes we once knew. Yeah, like it's hard to bet against the guy because you know that all it would take is for him for it to click and for things to get back to where they were, and all of a sudden now, like – you know, here they are now, what, I guess they're, what are they, four and four in the year, and yep. all of a sudden now they get hot. Now the problem is, you know, that's why they needed to have that game on, on Monday because they got a tough road coming up here, right? Yeah. Like they got Green Bay, and I believe the, who else they got coming up here? They got, they got yeah, at home versus Green Bay, at Vegas, then at home versus Cowboys, then they head into the bye. Like that's a tough three-game stretch here. Like if they're going to be lucky, they can get two of those three games they could very well walk out of there with maybe one or even none, man. Like even having to go play Vegas in Vegas, like, you know, Vegas over the last couple of years has managed to go out there and, and, and scalp them and, and, and get a win here or there. Like they've, you know, they've always played them tough, right? Derek Carr's That's always showing up. Like it wasn't last year they walked in and beat them at Arrowhead, right? Like they, yep. they, they, 40, they, they know how to beat those guys, right? Yep. So went toe to toe with them. Yeah, it, that's a tough stretch coming up here. And that's the problem, man, is that if you get too far behind the rest of the big boys there in the West, you know, you may not, you may run out of games and make up for lost time. That's the thing that scares me, right? So, yeah. But, uh, and then that last game, you know, listen, I, we talked about it. Rabel's going to have these guys ready to go. I know that it's going to be, it's a mentality of like, you just got to be able to, have them respect the run enough that you can still have that play action work with Tannehill and, and, and AJ Brown's been taking like, you want to talk about an alpha dog coming back off the IR and, and really earn his paycheck, man. He played well against the, against the bills and he had another great game over the weekend against the Colts. He's looking like that alpha dog wide receiver one. And even with Julio not fully fit out there, ready to go. I think that uh, the, the Titans are going to hang tough and I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they keep that one inside of a touchdown. So, yeah, I, I think, I think you're right. I think right, he, they're going to test to me. They're going to test their mental fortitude, right? How, how bad, how bad does Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, how bad do you want to stop the run? You know, let, let's see, let's see you do it for, for 60 minutes, right? Because those boys love to get after the passer. We all know that. We all know how good they are at it, but I want to see, I want to see this this Super Bowl potential Super Bowl Rams team come in and see if if the big bully in town is able to to come into town and 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 eat their lunch and take their lunch. So it'll be a great Sunday night matchup. I'm excited for it. I agree. I agree, man. You're right. Otherwise, a relatively weak schedule. A little bit light. You know, there's a lot yeah. of games here with like you know relatively you know big spreads here. You know, north of a couple scores, but and then you have a couple just you know couple dog type games where. You know, really, you have a couple bottom feeders already. You know, you get you know Texans versus the Dolphins. Like, please, come on. You know, yeah. like, you yeah. know, who who has Bills, any Bills. even 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 Jets and Colts? Like, who has yeah. any interest in watching that game? You know what I mean? Bills, so. Bills, Jaguars. So yeah, it, it's it, it's at that point in the schedule right now where it's feast or famine for sure. Big time, big time. Oh boy, we'll end it off there. Absolutely, as always, as I always say to you, love talking ball. That was absolutely phenomenal. Loved it, bud. Great chat, big guy. Looking forward to this weekend. And uh, let's see, you know, bookmark these picks here. I'm curious to see how they uh, how they shake down and, and how much things change over the next, you know, eight, nine weeks here. You know what I mean? So 
Awesome. Well, Triple G listeners, always a good time talking football with old boy. Make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our weekly pick sixes. We're starting to get a little better with it. So if that releases every Saturday morning, we got our pick six Saturdays for you. Check that out. Enjoy week nine NFL football, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Here comes the, here comes the, here comes the, y'all don't really want it like that, yeah, here comes the, no, here comes the, I love this Triple G podcast where real life sports and you talk with me. All right, folks, hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. This is going to be short and sweet. We're back from break. We're going to talk a little bit of golf preview next week. We've got a golf guest coming on, locked and loaded, ready to go. We're going to talk a little Champions Tour schedule that was released today and some rules coming up on the PGA Tour and in golf that will be changed as of January one. Um, no longer assistance and green reading books and um, equipment in terms of uh, helping some of these players out on the green. So that's a big change. And then we're going to talk as well. Greg Norman appears in the news starting uh, a new Saudi golf league. I believe it's eight to 12 events. So um, some interesting stuff we're going to chat about, but we'll get to that next week with our golf guests. So stay tuned on all of our social media fronts when we announce that. Still uh, winding down a little bit here in terms of overall in the world of golf. Um, the European Tour has the Portugal Masters as they uh, come up on their race to Dubai and uh, start to end out their season. LPGA Tour is still on break, um, so they'll be back next week for their final two events in terms of some of their um, qualifications moving forward as well after uh, they close out the 2020-2021 season. The Senior Tour is back in town at the uh, Timber Tech Championship at the old course at Broken Sound uh, Golf Club at Boca in Boca Raton, Florida. So uh, it's time. Bernie Longer, we talked about him on last week's cast, but uh, it's pretty much down to a two, three-man race like we mentioned uh last week but uh Fierk's gonna need a win uh, Bernard Longer's gonna need to struggle a little bit highly doubt that happened and so I think it's gonna be by the time we hit that uh that final um race to the Charles Schwab Cup in the last event I think it's gonna be Bernard Longer winning again no doubt there in my mind that uh, he'll have this locked up by then but on to the PGA Tour and we are at the worldwide technical uh, technology championship at uh, Mayacoba at El Chameleon Golf Club in uh, in Mexico. So the boys are down south. We'll give our picks here. And uh, we're going to start off. Remember, we'll have all the picks on Thursday morning um, early before the boys tee off for who we believe is going to win. Dutch was supposed to get me some picks, but I uh, haven't seen them yet. But I'm sure they'll be there by Thursday morning. So Dutch, if you're listening... <laughs> it's too late if you haven't sent them to me already, but uh, I'm sure you'll get them in my hands here and we'll put those up on all the social media front. But in terms of the ginger, we'll start from the bottom. Now we here, and we're going to start with our long shot of the week. And I absolutely love this pick. And here's why 90 to one. 
he was T24 at the Shriner, so he's been playing. He has played over the last couple, uh, over the last month. Took a couple weeks off. He's refreshed and ready to go. And uh, we dug deep here in our research. We went back to 2016 at this event because El Camiliano has held this event here for a while in Mexico at Mayacoba. It's their mainstay event. And uh, 2016, um, couldn't find him on the board, so either missed a cut or he did not play. Um, either way, we're going to jump ahead to 2017 T23, 2018 T41, and then the last two years he was T6 and T20. Three out of the last four years, he's been inside the top 23 for a 90 to 1 uh, value. No problem. I'll put a few units on that, and that is Joel Damon, um, the Louvy groovy swinging bomber. Um, Joel Damon. So we're going to take Joel Damon. Shout out to listener Chris Dugan, um, who caddied for Joel Damon on the uh, the now McKenzie tour. At the time, was the Canadian tour. Real good guy, friend of the show. So um, we're going to try to get him on eventually at some point. My rock steady top ten of the week. 75 to 1. Listen, he was uh, T18 at the CJ Cup. Played at the Shriners. I believe he was uh, struggled, made the cut, but struggled a little bit. But once again, um, great value here at 75 to 1. Listen, this, he's been inside the top 40 five straight years in this event. And four out of the last five years, he's been inside the top 15 in this event. T6 in 2016, T10. 2017 T9, 2018 15th outright, 2019 T41. That was his one outlier. And last year he was T8. And that is Emiliano Grillo at 75 to 1 as my rock steady top 10. So we're offering great value. Make sure you hit the each way on this as well. And my big gun, we're taking one of the big guns of the week. He was T14 at the CJ Cup a few weeks ago. And once again, he has not been outside of the top 21 in this event in the last four years and um, had a little outlier in 2016 at T55, but 2017 T9, 2020, or 2018 T21, 2019 T8, and last year was T12. My big gum, my big gun is Abraham Answer, Abe Answer. Somebody who puts that well is going to be there. Those are my picks. Make sure you're checking us out on Thursday morning for uh, for more picks as well. We'll get you six picks no matter what for the Worldwide Technical or Technology Championship at um, El Camiliano Mayacoba in Mexico. Folks, hope you enjoyed our chat with the old boy. We always love having him on. Like we said, we've got a stacked fall guest list. More to come next week as we continue off and we get you all the way through the fall into the winter right up until christmas we'll have nfl football we'll have golf we'll have it all here on triple g make sure you rate review and like and share and hit that auto download wherever you find your pods apple spotify anchor wherever you find it thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next week Thank you.